0: Welcome everybody to Damage Radio, here live on MakaRadio.com where music reminds me. You already know me, I'm R.C., alongside my guest. This man is a multi tag team champion from Factory's Finest with Clutch Adams and also Flex Appeal with Tommy Macklin, a.k.a. Steve Cutler from WWA. Um, this man has been through a couple of promotions, one being the world-famous Monster Factory in Paulsboro, New Jersey. He's from New Jersey. Uh, he's a was, hopefully, hopefully he still is a Phillies fan, you know, but uh we'll find out a little later on. He's the one, the only, the amazing Mike Spanos. Mike, welcome back to Damage, brother.
1: What's going on, my brother? Yes, I am still a Phillies fan, unfortunately, even though we right. are uh, struggling, but thank you for that introduction. It was very nice. We go way back. Yes,
0: we do, man. I, I was thinking about that the other day, man, from like, from the times that you came up to Damage Rated to be guest to the... Time when you had that shoulder injury and uh, the doctor messed up and put that uh, that thing in the like rookie of the year, in your arm, and <laughs> I, you was say, I, got
1: that, I got that Lex Luger, uh, yeah, that type of shot it blade. all the way up in like the moon, like as, as a, <laughs> at at I watched I that the other sure day. That, that the case. I'd, I'd go pitch right now, right? But yeah, so from
0: that, from that um, to to Tommy coming up to um, Billy, he came up with. Uh, we you got Ian Rickaby up there with you. You've been a part of Damage since almost the beginning. So um, yeah. I appreciate you know you believing in Damage since from day one and uh, coming back on, dude.
1: Yeah, man, you're good people. You're good people always stay in touch with good people. And uh, I've, we've always appreciated your support on the other end. And it's always nice to have, you know, kind of like a you scratch my back, I scratch your back kind of relationship where, you know, I'm giving you an interview, but you're also giving me work, too, in terms of that. So it's always a nice like-minded individual conversations so definitely
0: and that's the thing these days some some people starting the business they don't understand how important an interview is and get themselves over
1: and Absolutely. they're like they can connect and and you, you never know too like who you're gonna like some people are almost undeniable like when we when when matt riddle came into the monster factory he had you know a ufc background and it was almost like a no-brainer like he was a blue chip you know he was gonna most likely get ahead somewhere but then in the same sense you never know like look at ian riccobani like great guy awesome kid Mm -hmm. you know like he had a great voice he was our announcer we didn't really know you know we didn't know what was going to happen per se with his career and now he's the you know the talking piece of ring of honor and i'm sure if he wants to go somewhere else down the road whether that i know he's a big baseball guy if he wants to one day do you know, maybe like an Iron Pigs thing or maybe even get lucky enough to go to the Phillies or the Sixers or something like that or WWE, you never know, within his future, but, you know, he he did the right thing and he went to the Monster Factory as well and made his connections and (laughs) that's what it's all about, man. A lot of people don't realize that, that you gotta just make connections and make relationships with people and you never know when somebody might be able to help you out or introduce you to somebody else that can help you in another aspect, so... It's the respect good. respect. That too. that too yeah i mean you're trying to get ahead and you're trying to make it in your world and we're trying to make it in ours and you know there's a mutual respect there and then on top of that it's just you know it's just good etiquette but when you when you meet somebody that you get along with and you can and converse with and have a yeah. good you know we can shoot the, the um curse you we at? Good you good see we <laughs> could uh you know bs about whatever and right that's good
0: that's a good thing yeah the first time i met pretty boy larry sharp was um when he was managing the nigerian nightmares rest in peace, aaron um you know that that was a great
1: gimmick and he, he loved that i knew he loved it that was right when i pretty much got started was when he was doing that and i remember seeing those guys aaron and i believe chuck was his name and uh, yeah. they, were, they were larger than life. And, and Larry had that personality that was larger than life, and obviously the experience. Know. And uh, it, was, it was wild. And, you know, it's a shame that Larry's past and not with us anymore, but right. he was a good guy and, you know, he had stories for days. You could just sit there. That was, that was actually one of the cool things being a younger guy. When you first start, you just kind of like to be a fly on the wall and listen. And you can you can learn some stuff just from that. And uh, Larry was always good for a good first story or two.
0: Can you share any stories that or memories you had of Larry?
1: Oh yeah, I think my favorite one was actually a personal story. We went, me and a couple guys, and Danny Cage before he like fully. Well, I guess he always had control of it since I was there, but Larry was still in and out for a while. Um, but we went to a convention, a wrestling convention up in like upstate New York or something like that. And, um, a lot of, a lot of legends were there and we had our own little booth for the Monster Factory and everything and Larry, and of course, Larry knew like 95% of the people there and the 5% that he didn't know, they knew him. So it was cool. And I remember he was like said to me and a couple of the guys that came with us he was like hey uh do you guys want to go meet terry and i'm thinking he means terry funk which still was awesome i was like oh, sure, yeah. Yeah. absolutely let's go let's go and uh we go walking around and it's actually we walked to hulk hogan's room where he was at and he had like a line you know because he's friggin' hulk hogan so he had a line at the door of people waiting and stuff we walk right to the front of the line the guy's like, oh, you got to wait. And then he's like, oh, I'm here to see Terry. Like, I'm a, I'm a friend. I'm Larry Sharp. So then the guy lets him and, and us in. We walk right up to Hulk. You know, Hulk's taking a picture, signing an autograph. And then as soon as he's done with that person, he, he looks over and locks eyes with Larry. And then he just lights up. And he's like, oh, brother, Larry Sharp. How you doing, brother? And really? Because they, they did tours together. When Hulk was still breaking into the, you know, into the business, or when he was younger, into the business, and uh, you know, they were they were chopping it up for a little bit, and he introduced us, and and we all got to take a picture with Hulk and everything. It was pretty cool. It's pretty cool. You still have it? Yeah, I still have it. It's on my uh, it's on my phone somewhere. I haven't. I think it's on my Instagram too. But it was pretty cool. Oh, I remember when I was. You know, when you're first breaking into, you're like, you think you're just. You know the cat's meow, and you're like, "Oh, I'm gonna be bigger yeah. than Hulk Hogan." And then you walk in, and you see this guy, and you're like, "Jesus, I'm not bigger than Hulk Hogan. Like, I'm not taller than him. I'm not more muscular than him. Like, this guy still got it." But... You mentioned you mentioned
0: two very smart minds: uh, Pretty Boy Larry Sharp and Danny Cage. Um, yes.
1: Describe the differences and similarities of their teachings. Larry taught Dan as well. Um, and Larry's obviously a little more old school and went from that era um, from the the territory days and Dan was a little more new school, but Dan also has like an old soul to a degree so he has a lot of old school and a lot of Larry rubbed off on him as well and their styles were similar in a way like they both like to to break balls and they both like to tell jokes and and or hit out. you in the balls. Or hitch the balls, yeah. You know, you know. Happened you know. to me a couple times. Thank you, <laughs> Danny. Yeah. But uh, they both also had a have a very well. Larry did, and Dan still does have very strong love for the business, and and they love to to pass on the knowledge that they have. So I would say their styles were very similar in terms of teaching, except for Dan had a more modern approach. So he had more of the the current product that he could pass along that Larry might not have really been up to but in the same sense it's professional wrestling so a lot of the stuff that he knew would work still works to this day so a lot of similarities but still some differences dan was like i said he would be more the new school guy if you were trying to come up with a spot or an idea that you saw on tv more recently you'd run it by dan uh if you wanted to to find out like a psychology of something how it originated or like where you know a certain angle started you know larry would be a good guy to talk to but dan's also a good historian with wrestling too so yeah he was definitely a good guy to pass the torch along to from larry to him for that school so nice. now for the new damage listeners that are listening right now
0: kind of give them a little bit of history lesson on who is mike spanos and uh how you got your start in professional
1: wrestling i mike spanos i was a former wrestler for Monster Factory and a few other promotions as well. Um, I do. I did what every other aspiring professional wrestler at least should do. You, you, you seek out a school to learn the basics and to learn the business side of professional wrestling. And I, I linked up with Danny Cage and Larry Sharp at the Monster Factory probably back in like 2012-ish. Wow. Really? Really? Yeah, I think so, 2012, 2012, probably, maybe even, maybe even a little before that, and the the school was back in, it wasn't even in Paulsboro yet, it was in uh, Jersey City, it was like in like a little warehouse, Um, but I sought out to be a professional wrestler and learn the ropes through there, and I was doing that for a few years, and then You learn the business and how to grow yourself as a, you know, you have to, you're your own business in professional wrestling. So you have to learn how to get to other promotions. You have to learn how to meet different promoters, even get your way eventually up. Like I did extra work for WWE at one point, like even do that. So I wrestled for up until about 2016, maybe. And then I, I had to stop because I had a bad injury. I had a compound fracture in my arm, my um, left forearm. But it was a hell of a ride, man. I got to meet a lot of people that are currently in WWE, Ring of Honor. In uh, impact. Yeah, all over. I got to work for WWE for a little bit, which was a, a great experience. But even if it was just an extra role, like you still get to do matches in front of um, – like when the, the guys get to the arena, they come in and they kind of sit in the, the seats that eventually the fans would sit in. And then while you're there, you get to have matches in front of agents and try to catch someone's eye to potentially either get positive feedback, negative feedback, or maybe even potentially even a tryout. So you hey, know, talk got- about that process, man. How was that process
0: when you found out you're going there?
1: It was pretty cool, man. I actually got to go with two guys that I knew from the, the independent scene. One was Rhett Titus, who is currently in Ring of Honor still. And uh, another guy, was his name was Greek God Papadon. And I, I worked with him at ECWA down in Delaware. And basically what you do, you it's a little bit like a regular job. You basically kind of create a resume And you put it on wwe's uh career page like talent page and you know you give a background of who you've worked for what school you trained at you know you put pictures up maybe even videos if you have them um and then they contact you i believe it was one of the head officials john cone I don't know if you're familiar with his yeah. name, but if you've seen his face, you'd you would recognize him. He's one of the head officials in WWE, and he contacts you and basically says, "Hey, would you be available to do a Raw and SmackDown tour? You know, circuit Monday and Tuesday because they filmed on they filmed SmackDown originally on Tuesdays. I don't know. I think they might do them live now, but back then they filmed them on Tuesdays. So,
0: did you answer
1: to... that call or did they leave a voicemail? It was actually an email. So it, wow. wasn't, it wasn't like a crazy, you know, like moment where I was like, what's this phone number? It was an email, but it's still you saw, you know, it said WWE at the end. You're like, oh, shit. Yeah. So that was cool. And then, you know, you commit to that. And then I was lucky enough to be cool enough with those guys. So we carpooled together, which was cool. And my shows were in Baltimore and Wilkes-Barre, PA. So the raw was in Baltimore and the SmackDown was in Wilkes-Barre. So when you get there, it's, uh, you know, you pull up, you park, you go in and then, I mean, right from the rip, you're just like, Oh my God, I'm at a WWE show. I'm not, I'm not going in the front door to go sit in the stands. I'm going backstage. So you have to kind of like go in and meet, you know, the different, the different levels of people until you have to meet the, um, the referee, the talent agent, and then you kind of check in, you know, they see that you're there. Are there levels? In a, in a weird way, there are, like, different levels backstage. Like, his name was John Cone, and he's a, a referee, but I assume he has other roles, too, behind the scenes. But in the same sense you know there's there's other agents and producers and then there's writers and they're all walking around backstage you know and you never know who you're going to run into so you know you learn proper etiquette at the school to say hello to everybody shake their hand introduce yourself so you know that did those two days i went from meeting you know makeup artists and you know producers and camera guys all the way up to like you know triple h john Cena. You know, Stephanie McMahon, yeah. The only person I, I don't think I said anything I didn't get to meet was Vince, but I almost ran into him backstage because he was on he was answering a phone call and I was like walking through a curtain and he was walking through the other way. Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, oh my god, it's Vince McMahon. But it's pretty wild being backstage and, and seeing everything. And then Are they all cool? I would say 98 percent of them were cool and then the other the people that didn't seem that cool were just quiet so they could have you never know what they were going through at that point and, yeah. and they see extras every every week so you never know they could have just been having a bad day or whatever but i would say the experience was like 99.9 percent positive everybody was really cool a lot of people like to talk they wanted to know where you were from you know uh they would call you over if they saw you kind of standing around you make, you end up making friends with the other talent. You might know some of them from just because they're on your level, essentially. So like, you know, you might know some of them from your area or your scene, or you might even have seen them at another part of the country, but it was pretty cool. And then you get to hang out with them. And then you also get to interject with the rest of the WWE, which was awesome. Yeah. I'll talk about the match. And then the match, so we had, I'm trying to remember, on Raw, things were too crazy because it was live, so you kind of just hang out, and you kind of just get, like, full reign to just be backstage. I mean, it's not in your best interest to be annoying and go up to everybody and bother them while they're trying to learn what they're doing on TV that night, but... Yeah, are you going to eat that? You know? (laughs) Right, exactly, exactly. So you kind of sit back and watch, and... And see how the show is as ran and you get to kind of see how they they speak to the producers and, you know, certain things are rehearsed, but not, you know, choreographed or anything. But like if they're if they're doing a talking segment, they have to kind of go over that and figure out, like, you know, how they're going to do it. Um, So you get to watch that and you get to see them share the ring and and each break up into their time which was interesting and then you also get to walk around and and meet people and interject like i remember on raw we went back into catering and catering is i don't know if it's still the same but catering was awesome because you figure they're they're feeding not just the wrestlers they're feeding the truck guys they're feeding the camera guys everything the writers so they have You know, the healthiest of foods, like, you know, tuna and salad and all this kind of stuff, all the way down to, like, cheesecake and donuts and stuff, so catering. Well, after the 100 cuts they had, they probably served in, like, McDonald's now. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not sure how how catering is now, but catering was pretty awesome when we went, and then, obviously, you can have what you want while you're there, and then I kind of got unlucky at the time. All the extras kind of took the one table. Mm -hmm. And um, I kind of got, I was like kind of like the last one in line to where I had to like go to another table. So I ended up sitting next to, I didn't know at the time, but I ended up sitting next to two makeup artists. And then when I was sitting down, I was, you know, I was like, can I sit here? And then like, absolutely. And then they start talking to you. And then it was Heath Slater, uh, Damien Sandow. And I think another like makeup artist came over and they asked to sit with me because I was just sitting there. And they're like, hey, is anybody sitting here? Like, can I can we sit here? And I was like, of course, absolutely. So then I got to to chop it up with them guys, those guys for a little bit, which is pretty cool. And then all the other actors kind of looked at me like, what the hell? Like, how did you get that? And I was like, well, I was yeah, right. screwed. I was screwed well, out you got to be left in line. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I was kind of screwed out of your table. But I ended up catching the break and they were cool. Like, I remember Sandow was. Talking to me about the Monster Factory and, and Larry and everything. So that's always a talking point, which is cool when you have an inn like that and to have credibility like that. So you're not just sitting there like, Oh, oh hey, I see you on TV. I have a girlfriend yeah. and I like to yeah. okay. Right, right. So <laughs> you can talk how's Larry and how's the school and then you can talk about that kind of stuff. So that was cool. And and then you kind of just do your spot, whatever they tell you to do on Raw. Like, I remember on Raw, we were Rose Buds. I don't You remember Adam Rose? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, we were Rosebuds. Uh, <laughs> and uh, my dogs are fighting, sorry. But uh, we were Rosebuds. So, the first night, it really wasn't anything crazy. We just kind of had to walk out to the ring with them. But you'd be surprised at the technicalities in that, too. Like, different states, you have to have um, – like, licenses and stuff, like, yeah, to be allowed to do that, so if you didn't have that, like, I think I didn't have one for Baltimore, so, like, I wasn't allowed to, like, go up on the apron, I could just walk to the apron, so, like, I think two guys helped him up on the apron, but they just stood there, and I had to just, like, stand down to catch him with, like, some of the other people, but, like, technically, I could have gotten in trouble if I got in the ring and that, you know what I mean, like, there was a weird a weird technicality behind that kind of stuff. We um, have to get licenses and stuff to wrestle and perform in box too, I believe. Do you remember what but... you dressed in as a Rosebud? Yeah, I did like an Uncle Sam kind of thing because I remember that was that was a wild experience too. They You know, you go back into the costume area and they have like a, um, just like this big, I don't even know, I guess we call it a trunk, like a big trunk of different things and there's, you know, Viking horns and all kinds of stuff, boas, and, and, you know, you name it, they had it. And it was kind of like, put together the craziest outfit. They pretty much told you, like, you know, put together something that you think will be crazy. And I remember, like, I think, like, Rhett Titus was, I think, a cheeseburger. Like, he had, like, a cheeseburger outfit. And, you know, there was all different kinds of things you could be. And I remember I just had, like, uh, like a, I think it was a red, white, and blue vest. But I didn't wear a shirt underneath, of course, because you got to share the bottom. off. Awesome yeah, you want somebody to see that. And then I had like the Uncle Sam hat and I think I had some big glasses. And, um, you know, everybody had their own different thing. And then you walk down to the ring with him and just do your thing. And that was wild. That experience, just being behind the curtain, like when you have to go to gorilla position and you see the desk and you see Vince McMahon and Pat Patterson and some of the other top officials that are there. And a lot of times the refs come back behind there and that's where they kind of get ready. And then there's a mirror and then there's the curtain that you walk out at. And then I remember walking out and you figure just the normal raw has probably like anywhere from like 10 to 20,000 people in the crowd. And then when you walk out and you just see all the, you know, the the lights and the, the picture, you know, like the cameras and stuff. And you're like, wow, this is crazy. And then you just walk down to the ring and you're like, you know, doing your thing. And yeah. And then his spot was done, and then when you know when his match was over, he went to the back, and then you just get to hang out, and that was cool. I and mean, there really wasn't a lot of responsibility that day. You know, you get to just hang out and almost be like one of the, the boys or the girls. And then the next night was more lax because SmackDown was taped at the time, so that was when you had more time to go up to people and BS and you know, have conversations and things like that. So I remember the next day, that was more our day to panic because we had our tryout. They call them tryout matches, but they're not really tryout matches. They're more or less just matches to kind of get your name in front of the, the right people and, and, you know, have them kind of have you come back for more extra work or maybe maybe if they really like you, try out. Um, but... It was a pretty good time, man. And then during that experience, you're you know, you're panicking, but at the same time trying to talk to people. So I remember at the time Jericho was still there. He was walking around. He was walking around <laughs> in the back. And I remember I just asked him, I said, Hey, can I can I have a second with you? And he was like, Yeah, what's up? And then I was like, What do you have for advice for, you know, a guy doing extra work that's trying to make it to the company? And he was like Honestly, he's like, they just want to see if you can listen, if you're coachable, if you have a personality, you know, uh, the promo, if they give you one is going to be a little more important than the match. Don't go in the match trying to do a hundred moves. You know, they don't care. That's not what they're looking for. They're not looking for a five-star match. They're just kind of looking to see if you can listen and, and, you know, hit your time and things like that. And I was like, oh, it's awesome. Thank you. So. You know, I took that advice and made sure I, I had, uh, you know, more personality shine through as opposed to trying to do, you know, five-star frog splashes and stuff off the top. Yeah. And then my first You've match. Do you remember who you wrestled? The first match I wrestled, I wrestled Rhett. I, re- I wrestled Rhett Titus. And we had a pretty, pretty solid match. He called most of it. He was the veteran at the time. Like he had way more experience than I did. So I just listened. And we had a pretty solid match. And then I actually got lucky. You remember Gray Wolf?
0: Oh yeah. He was a monster
1: factory guy. Yeah. He, um, he was kind of like the odd man out. He didn't have a, a person to go with. So they kind of asked, like, hey, does anybody want to go? again or whatever and I raised my hand immediately I was like hey what's it gonna hurt to get in front of him again yeah so then we had a match with Gray Wolf and Gray Wolf being the character he was he popped the boys a lot so most of the time the crowd the crowd mind you the crowd is the superstars and the referees and like the people that you see on tv every week so you know you look in the crowd and you see New Day you see Roman Reigns Seth Rollins uh, Cesaro was on the outside. Um, Jeez. Rusev. Like, you're seeing all these guys for the most part. You're like, oh, Jesus. Watching you. Know, you. They're, yeah. yeah, they're watching you. You know, I'm sure they're just smart of them to watch because they might see a move they like that they could eventually take. What are you going to say? Hey, you yeah. stole my move. Like, yeah. you never right. do that. So, right. Right. if they see a move or whatever, or maybe they even just like you and they might relay the message onto the company. But uh, uh, Grey Wolf was popping the boys a lot because he was just a larger than life character. And I remember, like, you know, all of them kind of getting behind Grey Wolf and like doing chants and stuff for him, which is funny. But that was a cool experience. And my agent and the person who watches wasn't the norm. Like, it usually is supposed to be like William Regal or. Scott Armstrong or specific officials that they have there, but it was Goldust at the time that was doing hours. But it was like a good thing and a bad thing because like the good thing was, it was Goldust. They're so like, "That's awesome! I have I could talk to Goldust and and you know get feedback from him." But the bad thing was it was Goldust. He didn't have he wasn't in that managerial position to be like, "Hey, hire this guy." Yeah, That's all I remember. I talked to Goldust after my two matches and asked him for his feedback, and it was all positive. And you know, he was just like, "I was like, is there anything I can really do, like to kind of get any more, you know, whatever, like positive, you know, reinforcement?" And he was like, I, "I put you down on my notes that it was a good thing, you know, like that I pass my notes along to." He's like, "Unfortunately, I'm not in the hiring process, so what the people that take my notes do with them isn't on me; it's on them, but." You know, for what it's worth, I got positive feedback from him, which was, you know, a cool like feather in my cap. We tipped it, you know, yeah. felt right. nice. So, so but, would you do anything differently looking back? Um, maybe talk to more people, just get more advice. Um, my dogs are fighting again, and my girl just woke up and saw that. So, nice. but um. Uh, if I could do anything different, um, yeah, just talk a little more to more people. I mean, I felt like I did a decent job doing it, but obviously you're nervous. You know, you, you you don't have any stake in the company or anything, so you're trying to get a job there. But just do things like that a little more, maybe try to be a little more noticeable. Like I had a like a, a dream scenario or like when I said I walked by Vince, I was like – I said it to somebody too. I was like, could you imagine the balls it would take if you walked up to Vince, took the cell phone out of his hand, and hung up the phone and said, Sir, nice to meet you. Like, I'm going to be your your future WrestleMania main event. And you would probably like that. Either that or he'd kick you out immediately, one or the other, depending on on who he was on the phone with. But like, if you did have the Stones to do that, like, yeah, like you said, it could be a potential, like, hey, man, I actually might give you a contract on the spot for having the Stones to do that. Mm -hmm. Or, depending on, like, who he was on the phone with, like, you know, if it was a big business thing that he was working on, and you just hung up on the guy, then that could be bad. But, but yeah, other than that, I mean, I just wish I did more. Uh, I wish I could have done more. Like, more appearances and talk to people, because... When you're backstage, you know, you don't want to step on anybody's toes, but you do want to talk to people. So I remember, um, I think it was the SmackDown night, Naomi, like, we were back in catering, and Naomi was really nice. And she was like, hey, you can come over here and talk to us if you want. And, um, you know, you're watching the guys come out after their match and, like, getting their food and stuff and talking to each other and everything. So it's cool. Like, I, I remember after my match, I talked to Roman. He was a really cool guy. Like, that was what was really positive about it was just seeing how cool everybody was, and like how nice. Plus, the was. guys that you the guys that you were around had a journey. They didn't just get there and
0: immediately have success. Adam Rose, right. he had to go through so right. many gimmicks to the point where he was about to retire to finally catch on with the Rosebuds. Yeah, to... you
1: don't you don't really know that, you know. You just see like even even a guy like Roman Reigns, are like, always The Rock's cousin. So like, he just. Was given everything he was. And, but then, you know, when I, when I had my little conversation with him, it was like, you know, a little five, 10 minute conversation, but he was talking about how he did like the independent scene down in Florida for a while. And he's like, you know, you just got to keep grinding and and getting in front of people and, you know, honing your craft and get eventually make the right connections. And then hopefully you get back here. And just having a guy, and he wasn't even at the time, he was still Roman Reigns, but he wasn't like Roman Reigns now, you know, but still, okay. it was still cool that he even took the time to talk to a kid who, you know, was just there. Right. Now,
0: so, I remember watching on YouTube, uh, I actually was just like Googling, you know, finding some stuff about you, maybe I didn't know. And I didn't know that you guys did YouTube videos for the Monster Factory, like about wrestling, that has yeah. like one like nine k views and all that, like, you know, how did... How to take a bump or like how to do a certain oh, with, with Larry?
1: Yeah. Is that with them? Yeah, I remember yep. that. We had there would always be something. That was one thing with Dan that was kudos to him. He always had something going on. And he got Larry hooked up with some guy that was doing a like a how-to video, I think it was called. Yeah. And um they wanted us to do you know, basic wrestling moves. And I think we did a couple like like a suplex or something, like a couple other. And it was me and me and Steve. And we were there all day. You know, we brought our own lunch and everything. And we just hung out with Larry for the most part. And then he did, like, instructional stuff with that. And then that actually ended up, like you said, yeah, having, like, nine, ten thousand 10,000 views. It was pretty cool.
0: Definitely. Now, being the OG of the World Famous Monster Factory, um, when you first walk through those doors, seeing the pictures on the walls... Talk about the adrenaline that you felt.
1: Yeah, you you know, we were kind of lucky, Me, When I first started, it was a lot different than it is now. Like I said, it was in another building, and it wasn't as glamorous and as nice as it is now. Danny did a really good job of growing that. Um, But at the time, it was kind of like a dark, dingy, almost like a warehouse kind of deal with a ring. I had like an upstairs where they would go and talk, like the coaches, and then just like a little downstairs area to change. So it wasn't the same when we first started, but it was me, uh, Mark Cruz, his brother who went by Alex Cassidy, uh, Shaheem Ali, and Luis Martinez. And we trained there for probably close to a year before we moved to Paulsboro. And then we moved to Paulsboro, and that's when... Well, Steve actually came in to try out there, but then he he came to the move with that. And then that's when all that started happening with you know Danny re- redoing the building and, and the history, putting all the history up like he's a big history buff and wanted Larry's legacy to be carried on and everything. But when you see that, after... After we built our little camaraderie of the OG thing, and then Anthony Bennett came in, and there was a we had a really good crew of guys, and then there was even like one more wrinkle of guys. It was like Tim Hughes, uh, Geo, who's doing well in Ring of Honor now, uh, the Human Rocket, yeah, um, and Major McClinton,
0: yeah. yeah,
1: yeah, Major McClinton, yeah, he yeah. was a, he was a big one there too, and then we all had a really good camaraderie there it was like a nice brotherhood um and we would train two three times a week if you could get in more you could if you couldn't you know life happens and other people had regular jobs too i was one of them i was trying to go to school and do like server jobs at night um but we had a cool camaraderie there and then once That built up, then Monster Factory really kind of blossomed, and and Dan started really doing well with the recruiting and getting people like Steve to WWE and getting people... That was his first first sign, right?
0: Yeah.
1: Dan made a good connection with Gerald Briscoe, I assume, probably through Larry, I would would think. And um, he got Gerald to come in and kind of do like a talent scout. And... He liked Steve right away, and Dan put a good word in for Steve, and they kind of had an interview, and they they liked each other as well. And, and Steve was considered a Briscoe boy, and he ended up signing. So, so talk him. about talk about um the
0: business aspect of you know that you know you being in finance and all that. Um, mm-hmm. You had to sell yourself, so you got to mm-hmm. think of t-shirts, you got to think of gimmicks. Was mm-hmm. that hard for you, or did that come pretty easy to you?
1: that was something, if I could go back now, you know, I was in such an infancy stage of my career that I didn't think to do that as much, but now that I've seen how much wrestling evolved and learning more of the business side of it as you grow, like, to me, a lot of it was like learning as I went. So the creative aspect and like the t-shirts and stuff, I didn't really do a whole lot of that because... I just wasn't really focused on that aspect of it. That'd be something I would change, I would say. You know, like sell merchandise and come up with some kind of a gimmick to to sell it, you know, intermission or after the show. But that's a very important part. That's another thing, like I was telling you before we did the recording, um, you know, you think wrestling is just all, you know, lifting weights and body slams and suplexes and promos and all this stuff. But there's a there's a lot of, intelligence behind it too and a lot of business aspects of it and you have to learn how to to do that and you have to learn how to you know generate money for yourself and and like you said be your own business so it's definitely not that it wasn't not that it didn't come easy to me it just wasn't where I was in my career to to focus on that but now you know knowing how the business evolved and and how hot the independent scene got I would definitely be more focused on on that aspect of selling stuff and and doing your own YouTube like there's so many different things you can do that while you're in it you're not necessarily thinking about it you're just worried about learning the, the basics and getting better and you know different people have different things that they're enamored with like some people really like to do moves and some people really like to do promos and some people really are body guys and some people yeah. are lazy and there aren't going to be anything but they just like to be there and they just like to feel yeah. part of it you know what i mean like there was yeah. every aspect of that but um yeah the business side is very important and what you learn like you see on tv like look at um, you know look at use riddle as an example now like he's he's pretty popular he's got the bro thing and uh, and he's being on himself like, he is. yeah he really isn't being as much of a character he's just being himself turned up to 10 you know yeah. and uh he's it's working for him and yeah, i'm sure he's doing well in merchandise I, I don't know what the the breakdowns of the pay are but i know they get a percentage of their merchandise sales and you know so that's an important thing so that's would you I, if you came back would you still be the amazing like spanos
0: or what would you do differently
1: for your I character. thought about it when, when I did get injured and I was getting ready to come back. I did do a little bit different of a of a character, but I was still simply amazing, Mike Spanos. But if I, a lot of people take ideas from movies and you know different and comic books and all that kind of stuff. And one of the movies that came out around that time that hit home with me was uh, the Captain America: Winter Soldier. And the guy, obviously the Winter Soldier, was a guy who had his arm messed up and then they made a whole new fake arm for him or whatever. And I was coming up with an idea in my head that I was going to try to do some kind of a spin on that where I could wear like some kind of sleeve or something or maybe even like a shoulder brace and then kind of make that and then kind of roll with like the Lex Luger thing where he used, to, they used to say he got in a motorcycle accident and he would hit you with the forearm and knock you out. I was going to try to do something like that where I was like, okay, I have a foreign object in my arm. I could use that as a as like a cheating weapon or whatever. So that's right. probably where I would have went with that. I always preferred to be a heel over a baby face. It just was more natural to me. Um, right. But that being said, the baby faces is where the money's at too. So. so that's where you sell your merchandise and everything. So, so um,
0: what did you enjoy more, being a tag team specialist or being solo?
1: Those were very different for as much as the wrestling is wrestling. Being a tag team, there was just different psychology involved. And I, I really enjoyed being a tag team because both of my tag teams that I had success with was with Steve and with Clutch. And they were both very similar guys. They were more... Um, they were both very good at bumping. And they were very... They were more polished than I was in terms of, like, the moveset in the ring. But I always liked being kind of like the mouthpiece and the agitator and you know that aspect of it that side of it so it was always good because we could feed off of each other like you know I can be the guy that got the heat they could be the guy that does all the you know all the bad stuff all the good stuff all the good psychology yeah. but all the the better moves and then I could come in and get my you know my butt handed to me because I'm the bad guy. So I'm the one getting beat up and the crowd, you know, goes crazy because I was the guy talking trash to all the people in the crowd. So that part was fun. But that being said, I think everybody probably prefers being solo a little better because it's obviously all on you. So you don't have to worry about the other person as much and, and worry about that dynamic of it. But both are very, I think if you are a wrestler today or you're coming up, I think it's important to learn both because it's always good and you never know. Like there was a weird period of time in WWE when they were just throwing guys together and making random tag teams. So it's good to know tag team wrestling. And there is a different psychology with that. You have to cut the ring in half and you have to really try to do things, you know, like you want to take advantage of having a partner because you have one as opposed to being in the solo aspect of it. It's all on you. So, you know, whether you're doing double team moves or whether you're cheating, whatever, whatever the, you know, the scenario is, it's, it's a different psychology, but it's good to learn. <laughs> so if,
0: if you knew that your career was coming to an end, how would you have ended it? your chapter of Amazing Mike Spanos? Anyone that you wanted to feud with? Would you have wanted to feud with Tommy Macklin?
1: That would have been cool. I, I had one match with him uh, before he went to WWE. Um, I wasn't as polished as I ended up because I was never a Bret Hart or anything. like I was never like technically sound in the ring. That was just, you know, you had to watch my matches. It was a, it was a clinic, but I got a lot better, you know, just through experience. And I would have liked to have wrestled Steve when I had more experience and, and got more comfortable inside my own skin and in the ring. That would have been a lot more fun. Um, because when you're young and and you're first learning wrestling you don't realize a lot of things like a lot of it is psychology a lot of it's mental and obviously you're telling a story and that's how you connect with the crowd but in your mind you're so worried about this move that you learned in training and you want to make sure you do this cool thing and then maybe you'd start doing this pose so you want to do that you know what i mean like you're you're so worried about minute things that realistically aren't that important they are but and they're you got not. and you got a certain amount of minutes to do it right right and they are but they're not and i think that's one thing from not wrestling for a few years now that is kind of cool like cuz i still understand and know the business and know wrestling but now i understand psychology so much better so now, like, when I see a guy that's a really good wrestler, they don't even have to be really good, but, like, a guy who's awesome, like a Randy Orton, and he does something, and, and there's a meaning behind it, and then it gets a reaction from the crowd, and you're like, oh. And it could be something as stupid as just a look. Like, they just look for the crowd at a certain time after they do something. In your mind, you think you have to do, you know, a corkscrew student star press to get the crowd to go cheer, but realistically – You can get the same reaction with a look. Like, I don't know if I'm sure you had to have remembered the WrestleMania with The Rock and Hulk Hogan. Oh, yeah. yeah. They didn't do anything for like five minutes. They just stared at the crowd, stared at each other, and the crowd was just going bananas. Or even even Hulk Hogan, Ultimate Warrior. Yeah, yeah. And that's all psychology. And you don't realize that as much when you're young because you think, you got to do, you know, five star match and I got to get all my stuff in. That's a big thing on the on the the wrestling circuit is getting your stuff in. They call it something else with the, the curse word, but getting your stuff in, if you know what I mean. But you don't really have to do that as much as you think. It's good to have signature moves. And, and you know, everybody remembers, you know, the Shawn Michaels comeback where he hits the the friggin, you know the gimmick where the guy you know hits his nuts and he comes off the top rope with the elbow and then he sets up for the sweet shit music. It's good to have that, and you definitely need to have that, but you're so worried as a young person learning wrestling and learning the business that you think moves are everything, and then you you realize as you get older or you or you just understand more that psychology is really where it's at, right,
0: yeah um, take us back to to that shoulder arm injury. I remember talking to you extensively off mm-hmm. off camera about that and um how like your parents didn't want you to go back to the ring and they they're worried and uh that whole aspect you know, like you didn't really want to give up at the same time
1: there's yeah, a career yeah. outside of professional wrestling. It was tough that that aspect of it. Um I have a very good relationship with my family. A lot of people have different upbringings and different circumstances to where everybody's different, but I was I like to consider myself lucky in that regard that I had a very good relationship with my parents, and, and at the time I was I was still living at home, and you know after so long, we we're just like normal parents would be concerned, and and you know you're not obviously making a, a boatload of money at, at that stage in in your career, you know you're and you're working your your butt off, and you're working out, and you're spending long hours, and you're sacrificing time with family and friends. And it almost seems like sometimes you're not getting ahead. So when I got hurt the way I did, it wasn't just like, oh, I sprained my ankle, I'll be okay. It was a serious injury to where, like, my surgery was like something crazy, like six hours. Like, it was a long time. They had a lot of work to do to fix my arm. And the doctor even said, like, he's lucky. He could have potentially lost his arm, like, you know, the way way it really. It was that bad, yeah. It was a compound fracture. Both the, the radius and the ulna both snapped, and the one was sticking out of my skin, and the other one was, like, sticking into the bone. So they had to really, like, you know, repair. Like I said, I have 23 screws and two titanium plates that go up my forearm. That's why you, <laughs> you hear that noise, like, in the damage, your fans
0: <laughs> exactly. go back and watch that. You know, like, yeah. you hear, like, the zzzz. You know yeah, like exactly, you can't control exactly. it
1: sometimes exactly, so uh the winter soldier thing, then you go back to that, yeah. but um yeah, so they weren't exactly thrilled with that that aspect of it to where they were worried that you know I could get hurt again or whatever, and at the time, I wasn't finished school, and you know you're shelling out money, you know how that is, you're shelling out money and taking out loans and things like that. So they definitely wanted me to finish school. So, yeah. I mean, I think if I really wanted to keep going, I could have, and I wouldn't have had their blessing, and I might have had to, you know, maybe move out or something like that. But yeah. I think they would have eventually been okay with it if, they, if you know, I, I kept going the way I was going and if I started to get ahead. But that being said, like I was telling you earlier off camera, like, you lose your – You lose your confidence, that kind of, that kind of toasts you, you know, it kind of taps you out. So when everybody's not really in your corner, it's tough. And a lot of people's success stories are usually you just keep going. I I think if I would have kept going, I'm not saying I would have ever been like, you know, the next Stone Cold Steve (laughs) Austin. My dog's making a mess.
0: WrestleMania live at the Dino's house.
1: I have a... a boy boy pit bull and a girl pit bull that we rescued. And the boy is very adventurous. He he just didn't break anything, but he knocked something over. But uh, I don't think I would be the next Stone Cold Steve Austin or anything per se. Who knows? But um, I do think I would have landed a job in one of the companies, whether it be Ring of Honor, Impact, because I was working with Ring of Honor because – the Monster Factory and Ring of Honor had a relationship. That's how Ian got there. Uh, that's how Luis Damien Damian Priest now. That's how he started yeah. there. So I could have ended up there and then maybe moved and went somewhere else. You, know, you never know. But yeah. it wasn't meant to be, and I'm okay with that. Uh, I'm not Great. resentful. I mean, I'm resentful to myself that I got hurt, like bummed out that it, that it happened, but it happened.
0: Is the uh, door always
1: open? Yeah, yeah. Like, when we were there the other day, you know, Danny was, when are you coming back? And I actually just got hurt again. Not not as serious, but I tore my ACL playing football. So, uh, that shows you as you're getting a little older up in age. I'm 32 now. Yeah. So, I was playing football in the snow. I was actually in a league. It was a flag football league. And I did it for a couple of years. It was fun, super fun. And then this one team we were playing got a little – little too competitive, and uh, I brought out my competitive juices, and then, you know, they were throwing blocks and stuff. I went to go blow up a block in the snow like an idiot, and I just like, hyper-extended, hyper-extended my knee and tore my ACL. But So I'm still technically recovering from that, but that that was leaps and bounds easier than my arm. Right. Um, now, you did talk a little bit about
0: alumni um, at the factory. Talk a little bit about um. The different alumni that you shared the ring with in various companies, and uh, how's that sit with you? Knowing, like you said, you you would have been at one of these companies. Yeah, it's, it was almost.
1: It's yeah. it's it's cool. It's like, um, like I'll see, I'll watch. I'm not religious with watching all the shows and watching, you know, like from start to finish. I love wrestling. I'll always love wrestling. I love yeah. watching. It's hard to watch eight hours. Right. For, right. for one. I love, time. like, my new big thing is I love watching the documentaries that have been coming out, like, on A&E yes. with, like, my dad. Like, my dad loves that kind of stuff. Like, he just called me today when I was at the gym, and he just watched, not an A&E one, but he just watched some CM Punk documentary, and he was talking about how cool it was, and I was like, awesome, awesome. So, like, That's I'll cool. always, always love wrestling, and if I have a kid, and regardless of what they are, I'll definitely introduce them to that. But... I still watch the people that I know. Like I love to watch Riddle. I love to watch Damian Priest. I love to watch Steve. Uh, Anybody really that I shared the ring with, but those guys specifically because they, you know, trained with me and I was there. And I'm always, you know, I probably annoy like Luis, I'll, you know, I'll DM him sometimes after a match. Like, dude, that was awesome. And it's just cool that, that he even takes the time to just say thank you or, like, I'm oh, good. Okay. Or, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, like, we won't have, like, you know, drag out hour conversations or anything, but it's cool. Like, sometimes it'll be right off during door Raw, and he'll text me back or whatever and be like, thanks, man, I appreciate it. But, um, yeah, I like that. I, I enjoy it. I mean, right. it's cool to be like, hey, I know that guy. I actually shared a ring with that guy. I had matches with that guy, so and i i always want them to succeed i'm not a resentful person i'm not a you know oh why him not me like kind of thing like everything happens for a reason and those guys did what they had to do to get there whether it was you know things that we want we don't know about like you know behind the scenes like how how long their journey is like i know Luis or damian priest he uh He had a thing on Peacock. You can watch it. It's a very good. That was good. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a half hour, 45 minutes. And I didn't even know some of the stuff about him. I knew most of it, but some of the stuff was cool. And you realize like his journey was different than yours and everybody's journey is different. So, you know, I'm never resentful. Like, oh, why did Luis get there? Like he must've knew somebody and rubbed elbows better and screw him. Like, I'm not like that at all. I'm very happy. You know, I wish I could have been there with him and, and, you know, doing the friend thing like how him and Riddle get to do, but, you know, it wasn't in my cards and that's okay. And maybe one day, you never know. That's I, true. I know, work, working for a company, you never know. You know, I have a business degree and everything. So, you know, maybe I'll work on the back end or something like that. Yeah. You never know.
0: So, so seeing uh, Steve Cutler return to um, the Monster Factory, I had a match with Royal Money. Um, of course, and disqualification, Shaheem, who you know very well. And um, Royal jumped him and started beating him up. Yeah. We have a we have a match coming up, you know. Um, a, a triple threat match. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, triple threat. Um, uh, three on three. You think if I see a return of amazing Mike Spanos to have Cutler's back?
1: <laughs> I was there the other day. And when I saw that, you know, I got that little, oh, should I get up and uh, run out to the ring and help my buddy out? But. I don't know if it's in the cards. It would be cool. If you would have think... done
0: that on the fly, would someone have stopped you,
1: or would they would have kept on going with it? Uh, they would have went with it for sure. I think they would have loved it. They would have probably been like, "What the hell?" I mean, I mean, I might have got a talking from Danny because then he would have been like, well, "Now you're gonna have to, you're gonna have to commit to me now for a little." See you bit. next month, kid. <laughs> yeah, you just threw in a, you just threw in a little curveball on us. So you're gonna have to commit to another show or two. Yeah. But I don't, I don't think they would have. Uh been upset they would have just been like hey you're gonna have to do some work with us right but uh that was fun being back i haven't been there in a little while i need to, i need to go just to just to get there and see the guys and even just hang out with dan and have a beer or something yeah. but it was great to be there the the, at, the atmosphere was awesome everybody's morale was good sometimes you go through different waves like peaks and valleys sometimes people's morale's down sometimes people's morale's high. Yeah. I felt like everybody was in good spirits, everybody was in a good mood, everybody was happy to see everybody, I know Cruz was there, we were hanging out a little bit backstage, Um, and we all talk, at least somewhat throughout the year, you know, everybody's got their own life and everybody's got their own personal things going on, but we definitely all take time to at least reach out once in a while and, and have a little conversation or get together, Last time Steve was up when he was still in WWE, we all got together and, and hung out for a little while. So that was cool, and it was it was just nice to to be a fan and then also be like an insider at the same time, like yeah. you know, know everything that's going on and know the players in the game and everything. So I have a unique a unique vantage point from that. Anytime it comes to the Monster Factory or or any of those guys that I've I've been somewhat linked to, mm-hmm. so. It's a cool experience. So, speaking speaking
0: of fans, what do you have to say to your fans out there? If I still have any,
1: uh, yeah. I would like to thank them for for being there for along the ride with me, and and I appreciate that they took an interest in my character and and you know my journey and that portion that port, part the portion of my life because yeah. it was it was definitely a fun ride and I had a, a great time and it was fun to entertain. It was fun to be. A good guy when I was a good guy and and have them cheer for you and it was fun to to get under their skin and, and give it to them and be a bad guy and get booed it's definitely a unique experience you know I have that up on a lot of my friends and family like nobody can just click oh yeah I did professional wrestling but can yeah. say I liked it or I don't like it one or the other but they never can say oh yeah I did professional wrestling and it's like yeah I did that and it was pretty cool and to any fans out there that I had, it was, you know, I appreciate it and thank you so much. And I'm sorry I couldn't go further. I wish I could have, but you know, I'll definitely always shake your hand and, and take a picture with you or whatever if you ever wanted one. So So if Mystic May came up to you right now and was like, Hey Spanos,
0: uh, you get one match. Uh, and see if you can you know, see if you can make it in the big leagues one one
1: last chance. Who would you wrestle? It would have to be a guy, not Already, there anyone? You, anyone? Any, y- your listen? your call. Yep.
0: Mm. Would you go for the Tommy Macklin To get to get a little you know
1: revenge on? Would you go for someone you never wrestled before? That's a tough call because you would have to have a chemistry with the person. I guess I would go two routes if I could if I could have a if I could have a match with a person that. I know I've wrestled before, had some type of chemistry with, it would be more Cruz because I felt like throughout the years we had a lot of different tag matches together and a lot of different singles matches together and we trained together all the time. So we had a very unique chemistry, uh, we beat the hell out of each other. There's been times he's knocked me out pretty good or, you know, not knocked me out, but, you know, knocked me pretty good. And at times I've knocked him pretty good. So we have a very good chemistry. And if I had to try to put on like a, uh, you know, a tryout match, I would choose him. But if I was going for the business side of it to where I know it's going to draw eyeballs I mean, you got to go with, with one of the top guys now, and I would say the top guy in the entire industry has got to be Roman Reigns right now. I think he's just, you know, making him a heel and putting him with Paul Heyman. You know, he's a, he's on another level right now, and I think he would elevate my game, and and hopefully I would be able to make him look even better than he looks now, and it would be able to get more eyeballs on me, and and you know, like a contract.
0: Yeah. Well, Mike, I appreciate your time so much. Uh, I would love to have you come back on because we didn't even get into the aspect of your debut in the ECW arena. Yeah. Exactly. And uh, life outside of professional wrestling, but uh, thank you so much for your time in, and uh, thanks for always, you know, supporting completely damaged.
1: Absolutely, man. Anytime you want me, you know, you got my number. You got my my Instagram and anything we can we can set something up and. Hopefully, down the road, I can set up something with some other guys that could potentially come on for you, too. So, yep.
0: yeah, to be announced, guys, uh, me and Mike are got something in, in the works, and we're hoping to uh, surprise you guys and give you uh, a different taste of Completely Damaged. So, we'll yep. see what happens. Absolutely. Uh, Mike, thank you so much for your time. And remember, don't keep it nice and neat. Keep it completely damaged <laughs> on monsterradio.com <laughs> or music reminds me. Thanks, brother. No problem, brother.
1: Have a good one. Completely dead Completely
0: dead